0: previously in impeachment.
1: When I think about the metaphor of what changes this week, it's it's like one of those Renaissance paintings where they paint over and paint over, you know, layers and layers of paint. And it's amazing how the story doesn't change. The story is unbelievably consistent. You have witness after witness just layering over what we originally heard.
0: But even his new testimony implicated the president. His supporters in Congress stuck with him.
2: I think this week was actually a little bit of a setback for Democrats who hope that they can, you know, convince Republicans to come over and quote unquote do the right thing just because we had a vote this week where they got zero Republican support, the vote to open the impeachment inquiry. Those in favor, please say aye. Aye. Those opposed, say no.
0: Opinion of the, chair, the And some White House insiders signaled they'd be keeping their mouths shut, at least for now.
1: Unless those people can be forced to sit and answer questions, it becomes, well, that was an interesting little Ukraine scandal. We enjoyed that in September. Uh, we've moved on.
0: Dahlia Lithwick, Jim Newell, welcome back to impeachment again. It's kind of like Groundhog Day, but I, I have to say, like, here's what I thought when I thought about this week. When I thought about this week, I was just like, the easy work is done. It feels a little bit to me like the Democrats, when they started this investigation, It was like it was like a gusher. Like they just people just came out of the woodwork and had lots to say. It was like you were, you know, opening up an oil well in Texas in like 1945. You know, there was just there was lots going on there. And now we've reached the point where it's not that easy. We're kind of having to frack for information on both sides. We're having to like dig in and do a little hard work. I don't know if you agree with me or disagree with me. That's my theory of the
2: week. I mean, I think that they don't really even need to frack. I think they have all the evidence that they that they need, that they think they need. They've sort of given up this week on John Bolton testifying just because it was going to have to go through the courts. And they're like, well, we don't really need it because we have enough and we can just add anyone else who doesn't testify to the obstruction articles. So I don't know if if there's really any need to frack, given that they have several witnesses already admitting to a quid pro quo.
1: This reminds me very much of two years and 448 pages of the Mueller report later, America looked around and said, wait, he confessed to criming to Lester Holt. Like, (laughs) like it feels like that, you know? Like, why do we have to keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper for evidence when there's, like, a big flag planted outside that says, I crimed? Yeah, I mean, I feel, okay, so I
0: accept what you're both saying, that the evidence is there, and I'm just going to, Just to summarize where we are, there is ample evidence that the White House withheld military aid to Ukraine in the hope that it would encourage that country to open investigations into Trump's political rival, Joe Biden. In fact, there was some reporting at the end of this week that the Ukrainian president himself was set to do an interview with CNN announcing these investigations at the behest of the White House. But that effort was scuttled when Congress began to get wind of what was going on. But that said, I would say the fracking is still happening because Democrats haven't convinced everyone and they want to convince more people. So they're still gathering evidence. They're still trying to convince people of what happened here. Democrats, they've had a lot of luck in this investigation, as we said, but there have been a few government holdouts people who are saying listen we're not going to testify right we have mick mulvaney who is supposed to show up today potentially he's the chief of staff for the white house and he's like nah we have this guy charles cupperman who's the deputy national security advisor for trump and then we have john bolton who's the former national security advisor and all these people seem to be saying if you want me to show up you're gonna have to work a little harder here for it So, Dahlia, can you talk a little bit
1: about the strategy the Democrats are using? Because they are still trying to get these people in, right? There's a fundamental time problem here, and it has been a time problem since April when the House Judiciary Committee, you know, having read the Mueller report, said, huh, I think we need to talk to Don McGahn since he was either a party to or a witness to a whole bunch of obstructive episodes that Mueller chronicled. And just to
0: interrupt you here. So Don McGahn, former White House counsel, and was in the Mueller report, basically laying out a lot of incidents that were incredibly questionable. And Congress really wanted to talk to him. He said, no, thanks. Right.
1: 160 times he shows up there in the obstruction section. He's he's the where's Waldo of obstruction. (laughs) And uh, the Judiciary Committee subpoenaed him. And uh, the White House came back and made this very, very fanciful, out of whole cloth claim that he has, quote, absolute immunity. He cannot testify to anything. And then I think you have the problem of the glacial pace of the judicial system. That case was finally heard October 31st. Happy Halloween. Don McGahn in a federal courthouse in Washington. D.C. Federal District Judge uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson Here's the White House's claims, essentially just chuckles at the claims because ch- the claims are
0: uh, you can't hold us to account basically that is that those are their claims and we should probably remind people Why are we going back to the Mueller report here when we're talking about the impeachment inquiry, which is something different?
1: Well, I think it's because this is the same principle that they've now extended when they say Kupperman and Bolt, nobody, even if you've left the White House, even if you were not a senior advisor, nobody gets to talk ever to anyone. The other claim that they were arguing, by the way, in Judge uh, Jackson's court was that there's no role for the judiciary here at all, that the judiciary should not even be interceding in this fight because it's... Not appropriate. And I think Judge Jackson had very little patience with that. She Uh, made it sound as though she is going to rule in the, the Don McGahn issue in the next week or two. And in the meantime, when it became manifest that Kupperman and then Bolton, who's represented by the same lawyer as Kupperman, when they started saying, we're not showing up without a subpoena, we need this to be adjudicated in the courts as well, Judge Leon, who's right down the hall from Judge Jackson, said, yes, this is urgently important and I will docket it for December 10th. So <laughs> not super fast. Well, that's I mean, that is lightning speed for the federal judiciary. But it's clear that that's not impeachment speed. And so what happened this week was Democrats in the House said, that's fine. We're going to let the Don McGann case stand as a proxy for adjudicating this claim everywhere. We're not going to sit around and wait until Judge Leon sometime in December or possibly January rules on this. So that was the decision. It was essentially a way of saying we're going to put all our eggs in the basket that whatever Judge Jackson decides with respect to McGahn will hold for everybody else, with the huge caveat that this will be appealed to the D.C. Circuit and that then it could go to the Supreme Court. So we are almost watching a tortoise-hair problem where the tortoise is the courts. And I should just note Parenthetically, because this is interesting, there's turtles built into the Supreme Court building everywhere. Like if you, oh, what does that mean? They're little stone turtles, like oh. built into the. Like if you go out in the courtyard, it's it's they're proud. They embrace the slowness of the judicial process because it's deliberative. But if you are Adam Schiff and you would really like uh, to have Don McGahn in there testifying to the crimes, or uh, John Bolton, or, John or Bolton, Mulvaney, or Kupperman. then the turtle thing is is not super duper helpful. Like they want to just put a little rocket engine on the turtle and speed this thing up.
0: And what I thought was interesting was that Adam Schiff sort of did this really interesting strategy where he said, "Okay, we have subpoenaed Charles Kupperman, this guy who is the deputy national security advisor. He said, no, I need the judiciary to tell me what to do here, decide between the executive branch and Congress. But we're going to unsubpoena him. We're going to retract that subpoena and tell him, we would like you instead to pay attention to whatever happens over here with this Don McGahn situation just to speed it up. But then also, was it a potentially more favorable judge
1: well I think for sure Judge Jackson it was clear in her courtroom that she did not have a lot of time or patience for the arguments that the White House was making and I think that there's reason to believe that judge Leon who uh, had docketed the um, the Kupperman and probably Bolton uh, arguments also was inclined i think to take this very seriously and as i said to go as fast as possible but i think it's just a sense of we've got a horse coming in possibly weeks earlier and given just that the impeachment deadline is so tight uh, i think it made sense to just assume that whatever judge jackson decides will hold again with the caveat that it's still going to get appealed
0: here's my question looking at the strategy can they do that Like, can they say, we want you to pay attention to this case over here? Because if I'm the White House, I'll just say like, no, we have our own case over here. That needs to wait.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what they are saying and what they have been saying is that whatever the legal principle, when a judge makes a determination about fundamentally the same claim of, quote, absolute immunity, that that would hold for everybody uh, in the related cases. I mean, certainly I think Kupperman could say, no, I want to go ahead and have my own uh, uh, litigation. I think it was a way of signaling two things. One, we're picking the fastest turtle, uh, which is clearly what's happening, uh, but also that we have to make provisions for the fact that we're not going to get all these witnesses in time, that it's entirely possible we have to do this without uh, John Bolton appearing Uh, and we want to construct a set of inferences from which we can deduce and later the Senate can deduce that they simply obstructed, that they this is part of, and, and Adam Schiff has said this from the beginning we will draw the inference every time they preclude someone from coming and telling the truth, this is part of their attempt to stymie this investigation, and we will draw that inference. And by the way, again, that was one of the articles of impeachment against Nixon, was that he was making it impossible to investigate.
0: So do we think we're going to see John Bolton or any of these people who are holdouts actually come in front of Congress or not?
2: Well, I don't think so. No, I I think they're still trying to get this done by Christmas, pretty much. And Bolton has said, like, he would go if he had to, but he doesn't have to now. So, yeah, I don't I don't think it's going to happen.
0: Hmm. Something else happened this week, which is we saw some potential Trump loyalists begin to rethink their approach to this investigation, most notably Gordon Sondland. This is the U.S. ambassador to the EU who seems to have played a key role in this withholding of aid to Ukraine. He's a political appointee rather than a career diplomat. And this week he released three pages refreshing his recollection as I believe, how he put it, basically saying... Okay, well, maybe maybe there was a quid pro quo. Jim, do you want to talk about what he said in these in these updated pieces of testimony?
2: He sort of got in a little bit of trouble when Bill Taylor, who is the acting ambassador to the Ukraine, said in his testimony that Gordon Sondland told him that there was basically a quid pro quo here, that the administration wanted President Zelensky to announce these investigations in exchange for the 400 million aid. So then Gordon Sondland, who's just – as you said, he's just a donor. He's just a, a hotelier from Oregon. You know, he, <laughs> and He's suddenly pretty nervous. So he goes back in and he says he refreshes recollection and he said, oh, yes, he actually – he did – and this is where it gets complicated. He says he presumed that that's where the quid pro quo was. So there's a little bit of
1: wiggle leeway room. there.
2: Yeah, a little bit of wiggle room that Republicans are you know, all holding on to as, as much as they can.
1: It's very clear that I think his initial statement, he really felt... That, you know, A, he was being a good soldier. He kind of had Trump's back and he was denying the the central, you know, the, the keystone claim and that that was going to protect him. And I don't think he thought that all the people who spoke after him were going to essentially say he was a prime mover of this scheme. He knew about the quid pro quo, th- these claims that he had. I knew it was Burisma, but I had no idea it was about the Bidens until much later. I mean, he's still not completely coming clean but i was going to say
0: he's still leaving himself room to sort of wiggle away
1: I mean, I think that this is this fault line between the people who are showing up and not showing up. A lot of the people who are not showing up are themselves implicated, right? Like, that's why Mulvaney's not going to show up. He's in trouble, right? I think that Rick Perry can't show up. The people who are Giuliani, I mean, he's lawyered up. He's not showing up. And I think that the people who are not implicated in any way, it's very easy, even without a subpoena or even without a court order for them to come and say what they know. Sondland is right on the front line, because he's the guy who is in the room. He's the guy who's actually saying initially, well, I didn't know it was a quid pro quo. And now, well, I kind of knew it was a quid pro quo, but I didn't. You know, he's one of the very few, I think, actors in this who showed up thinking he was not implicated. And now he is. Right.
0: And one more person came forward this week, and it was sort of a surprise to me This guy Lev Parnas, he's a Ukrainian businessman who was acting as a bit of a surrogate for Giuliani abroad. He was a Trump donor and he was arrested a couple weeks back. He now says he's going to cooperate with the impeachment inquiry. How big of a deal is this, Dahlia?
1: I mean, I think it's a, a fairly big deal. It's probably worth saying that, you know, a lot of the people who have cooperated have kind of only half cooperated. And that was certainly true of the Mueller report. You know, we have people like Flynn who are now saying, oh, you know, the whole thing was a frame up. Like, I think it's very hard to know when people are part of the roll up. Uh, whether what they're saying is truthful or useful until we know what they're going to say. But I do think, uh, and this is why it's interesting to keep your eye on Giuliani and the ways in which it seems as though the plan now is to throw Giuliani under the bus. I mean, it seems as though there is, uh, I don't know if Jim agrees, but to the extent that they're starting to circle the wagons and protect people, it feels as though like Giuliani's on the outside of the wagon. And I think that Certainly, the question is going to be, at what point does Giuliani start to say, like, I have to protect myself? And I think Parnas is the he's the one who, you know, connects you, who gets rolls you up to Giuliani in some sense. What do you think, Jim? I mean, I've been waiting for
2: Rudy Giuliani to be thrown under the bus for weeks now. And it amazes me that he still has even the closest tangential connection to Donald Trump right now. He's like I mean, he is still... His personal lawyer, right? Which is amazing. I mean, it seems like it'd be very easy to just say this was Rudy freelancing, you know, and it, that's a way for everyone else to wash their hands of it. But I think that maybe is incompatible with Trump's continued insistence they did nothing wrong in the first place. So if you want to throw Rudy under the bus, you know, then you have to sort of admit that these negotiations or talks with the Ukrainians over this stuff was wrong in the first place. And, you know, Donald Trump is not quite there yet and will probably never be there. It's just a matter of whether. Uh, the rest of the Republicans actually get there.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the president made this statement of support for Giuliani by kind of being seen with him in public, and you know, asserting that they were still, you know, working together. And and you do wonder when that might end. <laughs>
1: Well, also, I think it's really important that this was the week that Giuliani started tweeting, I was working on the behest of my client. I mean, he has toggled back and forth. We've even talked about it, that sometimes he claims his client was the State Department. Sometimes he claims his client was the president. Sometimes he claims, you know, it was the office of the White House. So I think it's very, very interesting. You know, he's back to saying I was out there on the hustings representing my client. So he's toggled back to dragging the president in to it. So
0: he's kind of lashing himself Mm -hmm. to the mast Mm -hmm. here and saying, if you bring me down, you're going to bring that guy too. I think so. We'll be back in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person, Anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I want to talk about one more thing, which is... Over the past month, we've seen conservative news outlets begin to sort of leak the idea of this is who the whistleblower is. The whistleblower being the person who started us off on this inquiry. You know, they've released a name and no one has confirmed or denied it. It was interesting because this has become a real defense of the Republicans. You even saw Lindsey Graham coming out and saying, we need to really talk to the whistleblower. We need to understand who that person is. So this has become a real part of their defense. You can't prosecute somebody. Impeachment is the political death penalty based on an anonymous source. So yes, we need the whistleblower's name. We need who they are. And they need to be cross-examined under oath about any biases they may have. Number two. But this past week, Donald Trump's son showed up on The View and he was there theoretically to talk about his new book. But it ended up being this very uncomfortable interrogation about his Twitter feed, because this past week was the first time we saw Donald Trump Jr. tweeting out information that could link this name with the whistleblower.
2: The whistleblower's name was on a little website called the Drudge Report a couple of days ago. It was in Real, Real Clear Politics. I literally quote tweeted an article that had the guy's name in the title of the article. So that whole thing is not. I, I wish the outrage. And you
0: saw the women on the View take Donald Trump Jr. down, you know, and basically just say, "You can't, you can't do this. We have laws."
1: The whole point of releasing a name is to intimidate someone, to threaten someone, uh, and to scare other people from coming out, that's something that dictators do. I've lived in China, I've seen that firsthand. That's not what America does. That's not who we do. We don't, we stand by our people. Why did you want to really sit
0: And it was interesting to me, because it made me wonder if this strategy is going to work for the Republicans. They're pretty committed to it. They're pretty committed to the idea of this all goes back to the whistleblower and the whistleblower. He's someone who worked with Joe Biden, and we need to keep that in mind. This is politically motivated. Jim, I wonder how you've seen the whistleblower conversation play out on the ground in D.C.
2: Well, I, I first of all, there is that person who, you know, not just Donald Trump is tweeting out the article with his name, but uh, Rand Paul also tweeted it out. Rand Paul also said at a rally with Donald Trump this week that the media is being cowardly for not naming this person. One reason I'm not naming the person is because I don't know if the person that they're fingering is actually the person. But there's a bit of an urgency now for Republicans to come up with something. And they really hope it's this person because this person, yeah, does have ties to Democrats, has worked with Democrats before and wanted, you know, prove that it's all a deep state plot. So I understand exactly why they're trying to do it. But, you know, it's also very secondary in that the core of what the whistleblower put out there in his report, you know, has been seconded by so many witnesses. So it's not really quite necessary. But I think they're just ignoring all of that and trying to bring this back to where it started to show that, you know, this is just Democrats trying to launch a coup. We do seem to be in this very strange state right now where, this person's name is out there. You can go and find it. I have no idea if it's that person. But I don't know there's sort of this dual reality we're living in right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was interesting to me to learn, you know, there were Republican donors who were buying ads on Facebook that were putting this person's name out into the world. And you realize just how dirty this was getting.
2: Yeah. There's like hundreds of thousands of impressions on all of these things that are naming this person. So it does seem a little bit untenable that we're sort of Like, I mean, I would like to confer for myself before I even believe any of this, you know, but it it just a lot of people have seen it. And yet no one quite knows what to do with this name.
1: Yeah. I think that there's this deadly serious part of it, which is Facebook took hours to take down, you know, hundreds and thousands of people viewing the name. Uh, this is no different from Alex Jones outing wrongly the name of a juror in the Roger Stone case this week, you know, posting a photograph, posting a name. Hundreds and thousands of people listen to him. I mean, this is... PizzaGate again, you know we don't know, as Jim says, if if the you know foreign reports of who the CIA person is, you know detailed at the White House is correct or not. But that's not the point. The point is you have thousands of people who are willing to say the name, you know, pass on the name under this theory of, you know, we are persecuted and the mainstream media um, is, you know, coming after us. So we're going to throw other people to the wolves. But this is like a deadly, serious thing. We've seen what happens when Alex Jones and conspiracy theorists put out false narratives uh, falsely about false people. Like, somebody shows up with a gun. right? So this is not, you know, for, for Donald Trump Jr., I mean, you can say, and I think it is true, it's not clear there's a statute that's being violated right now. But the whistleblower's lawyers are saying, His family, these people have existential fears for their lives. And here's Donald Trump Jr. like yucking it up, you know, on The View, the sense that this is a joke or a game. When people's lives are at risk and, to be clear, for the hundredth time, the whistleblower broke no law. Right. That's staggering. And the thing that's interesting to me is
0: jim you sort of talked about it as like we're at this point where you can feel it bubbling under the surface and you're waiting for it to break through and next week we're going to see public testimony and that means that there are going to be democrat and republican congress people up there asking questions and it raises this idea of what are people going to say Once they have those C-SPAN cameras on them rolling and transmitting live, are they going to mention the possible name of someone who could be a whistleblower? Like what's going to what's going to happen? How do you think about that, Jim?
2: I mean, I think it's very possible that they might name him next week. When I'm looking at these public hearings next week, I just wonder if it's going to very quickly confirm Democrats strategy that they were correct to do this behind closed doors to get all the initial information because I think it's just going to be a mess and I think it's going to be Republicans' interest to make this an entire mess and to polarize everyone over what happens and to make it look like a witch hunt or something. You know, We're going to see this whole process sort of revert to the, the dirtiness that you usually see in congressional hearings and uh, I just expect a lot of stunts, I guess you could say.
0: Dahlia, Jim, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks. Dahlia Lithwick and Jim Newell are fantastic human beings who show up here every week. They also write for Slate. That's your Impeachment News Roundup. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, Danielle Hewitt, and Mara Silvers. We had extra help this week from Melissa Kaplan and Rosemary Belson. Thanks for listening. I'm Mary Harris. I will catch you back here on Monday.